I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. going to talk to Brandon McAnderson now a quarter of the way through Kansas's season get his thoughts on what he thinks about his team how far off from what he expected has he seen how much have they surpassed his expectations we talked to him I think the week before the season began he thought Kansas would win five games this year and when he said that I thought okay former player diehard lifelong Jayhawk maybe some unbridled optimism there BMAC but now they're sitting here at 3-0 and they've got one of their more winnable games on the schedule coming up on Saturday in what will be the best environment at Memorial Stadium in the past 15 years. So maybe he wasn't that far off. I usually do this at the end of the episode, but I'm going to start it off today. Uh, By the way, thank you so much for listening. Last week's episode, I was uh, floored by how many people were interested in hearing myself and Matt Tate sit there for 30 minutes and talk about Lance Leipold, Nebraska being interested in him, and what it means for Kansas. Uh, It's awesome. It's awesome seeing how many people are interested in Kansas football. So with that being said, if you haven't already, please, please subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening. Subscribe, rate, review. It means the world. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it and uh, excited to see where this goes the rest of the season. The Jayhawks are coming and not just in football. The KU Office of Admissions just wrapped up their Rock Chalk Roadshow event where they traveled through the state of Kansas recruiting and finding the next wave of Jayhawks. They stopped in locations such as Manhattan, Salina, Hutchison, Garden City, and Hayes with faculty and current students to help teach kids around the state of Kansas what it's like being a Jayhawk. I can speak from firsthand experience. Being a Jayhawk is quite cool. It's pretty awesome. But for me, it was easy. I grew up 30 minutes down the road. I was a lifelong Kansas fan, and I always knew that if I was going to college, Kansas was where I was going to end up. There wasn't really a decision to be made. I was like the, I was like, you know what? I was like the five-star recruit that Bill Self didn't even have to, you know, woo when he brought into town. Now, that's not quite it. It was easy. But I know for other kids around the state of Kansas that have other options, there are so many options, it can be overwhelming. That's why the KU Office of Admissions is traveling through the state with academic departments, faculty, and current students trying to help kids make this decision. It's not too late, though. If you missed the event, you can still go to go to that's the number two, go to.ku.edu slash portal slash roadshow, or you can contact the KU Office of Admissions to register. That's go to.ku.edu slash portal slash roadshow. Uh, People keep asking me the same question or a variation of the same question, which is, is this legit? Or or is this a a top 25 team? Just how good is Kansas football? Is this an elite offense? And I've given 
a few different variations of answers to that. But I realized that it's all kind of pointless because I could give a stats-based answer, right? I could I could pull up their numbers, and they're impressive. They've got the third-highest scoring offense in the country, 53 points per game. Jalen Daniels was just named the National Player of the Week. He's got the number one QBR in the country. He's got, I think, the 10th most total touchdowns accounted for. Go across the board, I could find a handful of numbers to prop up this team and tell you that it's one of the best teams in the country. We all know how it works in college football. Everybody's playing different conferences. Everybody's playing different schedules. I want to say right now KU has the 80th in terms of strength of schedule, 80th hardest. So a little below average uh, in terms of the level of difficulty they've played. And that's not going to move much after playing Duke, who is 3-0, but Kansas is a touchdown favorite, which tells you a little bit about what you need to know about the Blue Devils. Might be a competitive game on Saturday, but I still expect Kansas to go in and win and move on to 4-0. Is this team legit? Well, you tell me. What are you watching on Saturdays? I saw a team that for two straight weeks went into road environments against quality opponents and beat them. And in the case of Houston, it wasn't particularly close. So you can look at the numbers, which mean nothing. Like college football, more than any other sport, college football early season numbers don't mean a ton. The only thing they mean for this Kansas football team is that they don't suck, right? I don't know how good Kansas is. I know they're not a bad football team, but I don't need numbers to back that up. I don't need to look at the points per game. I don't need to look at where Jalen Daniels' QBR is. Look at what you're watching on Saturdays. Trust your eyes. And I know that's a difficult thing for Kansas fans to do. Because you're always waiting to get snake bitten. You're always waiting for the other shoe to drop. And maybe that will happen. But are you going to feel better if you stay pessimistic now and then wait until week eight to say, you know what, I'm finally bought into this team. This team is 3-0. and 3-0 and for the first time in well over a decade. Why not enjoy this? It's the first thing you've had to enjoy around this program since Mark Mangino left. I know people are worried about Lance Leipold. Could he potentially leave after the season if Nebraska's interested in him? Hell, if they keep winning at this rate, Nebraska's not going to be the only school interested in his services. I get being protective over your coach, the first good coach you've had in a long time, because when is the last time? Honest question. Think about this. When is the last time that any school was interested in any coach that Kansas had? I mean, maybe Mangino, right? Maybe. But I don't think he was hot enough for anybody to really care. I believe, if I remember correctly, this was around the time in like 08, 09, when you kind of felt like Bill Snyder was on his way out in Manhattan. He had ties, and you thought, okay, maybe, maybe K-State could try and poach it. Now, it never ended up happening, and I don't really think there was ever much there. But since Mangino, you don't even have to think about it. Turner Gill, Charlie Weiss, David Beatty, Les Miles, no other program was ever interested in hiring those coaches away because none of them were any good. Well, now you've finally got one that is. That's a good thing. I, I, some people were pushing back on, on Twitter saying that, you know what, this is a bad thing. Kansas is going to have to start all over because of their bad track record in hiring and how hard it is to win here. Who's to say the next guy is not going to be like the four guys who came before Leipold? And you know what, maybe you're right. But why waste time worrying about the future when you've got such a cool thing happening right in front of you? 
It's kind of like that friend. If you're a KU fan, everybody has this friend, the guy who's super obsessed with recruiting rankings, who you'll be in the middle of the basketball season. KU will be getting ready for a, a big Monday matchup against Oklahoma. And he's sending you a tweet from some 17-year-old kid who just cut his list to seven. He'll send you the YouTube videos, hoop mixtape. This kid's going to be a problem. Timmy Johnson explodes for 37 at the Nike Peach Jam. Yeah, that's great. But what about what we're watching right now? It's easy to do in basketball. You expect Kansas basketball to be great every year. So if you get a little bit ahead of yourselves, what's the big deal, right? You're a top five team every season. Well, Kansas football is literally never in this position. You're 3-0, gearing up to be 4-0 against the Duke team that you should beat on Saturday. And who knows? Maybe you'll wind up in the top 25 next week. You're already receiving votes. You're knocking on the door. You're finally relevant. Hell, there have been talks. Uh, I think Scott Van Pelt and, and Stanford Steve talked about it on, on uh, the SVP pod that potentially Kansas could be looking at a college game day situation in a couple of weeks if they're still unbeaten. Who knows if any of that's going to happen? But the fact that people are talking about it at least makes it seem real. What you're watching, what you're feeling is real. So the next time you have to sit there and wonder, even if Kansas goes out against Duke on Saturday, let's say they're up against the ropes. They win by three. They don't look as convincing as they'd looked in the previous three games. And you start to say, okay, what's it going to look like in Big 12 play? Is this team as legit as you think it is? Stop yourself and understand that these opportunities to just sit back and enjoy what you're watching, to actually have a level of relevance in college football, they don't come around very often for this program. And you don't know when it's coming back. So my advice is to enjoy what you have. All right, BMAC, we talked about a month ago. I think it was the week before the season began. And you you had told me your official prediction was five wins for Kansas. And... I know that there are people that were bullish on KU before the year, maybe thought three, four wins. The Vegas over-under, I think, was two and a half. But when you said five and you didn't blink when you said it, I was like, okay. All right, somebody's drinking the Kool-Aid over there. I get it. Okay, BMAC, like, thank, thank you. But um, a month later, they're 3-0. and They're 3-0 and and uh, entering a game that might be their second most winnable game on the entire schedule against Duke, so... Uh, first off, congratulations. I'll let you take your victory lap, but I'm curious, when you made that prediction, and now having seen this team play three games at a high level, how close to what you thought this team was going to look like have they actually looked like in reality? So I would say that it's close to what I hoped for, but I think it's a little bit better than what I hoped for just because I, I thought that the winning part would take more time you know, have some more frustrating, you know, finishes, but that's not been the case. They've been able to finish it and they've been able to execute at at an amazing level. Um, It was really nice to see them close that game out at Houston with some playmaking on defense and then some more offensive brilliance. Um, Like I said, I thought that they were going to be this somewhat of this version of a team, but I also did not predict that uh, Jalen Daniels was going to have the highest QBR in college football history. Um, so that that part I didn't I wasn't surely on, 
Um, but he's been amazing. The offensive line has far exceeded what I could have hoped for. And their depth that they talked about on defense that I saw in training camp is real. Um, so it's kind of been confirmation of what I've seen and a little bit better execution than I thought. So you talk about finishing games, which I think it's kind of overlooked when you just look at the final, you know, the final score. You look at the record 3-0. and You say, yeah, if you play well, you expect to win games. But we've seen enough Kansas football over the last 15 years to know they've played well in a lot of games that they mm. ended up losing. And for a team that hasn't done a lot of winning and guys on this roster who haven't done a lot of winning in college, just how impressive is that not just that you've seen them come out of the gates and play well and execute and move the ball and score points, but also closing games out in the fourth quarter and getting the win? I think it's it's very important. I don't think it's really something that you can learn I've always been of the opinion that you can't really learn to do it unless you're actually winning. Um, And they seem to have been able to learn it without actually winning. And I think it has a lot to do with uh, their self-belief. You know, a a lot of the things that I talked about before when I was on the podcast before, it was mostly about like how they felt about themselves. Like you could tell by their tone that there was a certain, um, it was genuine. You know, it wasn't like they're like, yeah, we're going to be something we're going to be a force to deal with. And it was very matter of fact. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't like a, a hot take of any sort. So I kind of started to believe in them when they started to believe in themselves. And I think you're starting to continue to see that manifest in different ways throughout the roster. They have more confidence than you would expect from a team that came off a two and ten season. Where do you think that ultimately comes from? Because coaches can only do so much, right? We hear the buzzwords like culture and and things like that. And I think every coach preaches it, but at some point it almost starts to lose its meaning when I hear coaches say culture. I'm like, everybody thinks they have a great culture. Every coach, every new staff is trying to instill a new culture. So how has this staff instilled that to these kids? Culture. (laughs) (laughs) And it's it's real. And, And the part of it that's real to me is that there's complete buy-in. So not just in the weight room, not just with the X and O's, everything. They are completely connected. They don't have any malcontents. So I think it's 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 there's little pieces. I'd give it 33% of each. I think 33% of it is the transfer portal. You got guys coming from Ohio State. You got guys coming from a successful Buffalo program. You got guys coming from Purdue that played in the bowl game. Uh, Louisiana played in the bowl game. Central Florida played in a BCS bowl game when Eric Gillier was there. So, you know, uh, you got Kalen Gervin played at Michigan State. So there's all these people that have been winning their whole career. So it's really not out of the realm of possibility that they believe that they should be there. And so I think that's part of it. The other part of it is Jalen Daniels. (laughs) He's just been he's been fantastic. He's just been the player that they needed him to be every time they needed him to be that. The other part is the coaching staff and their, their time together. You know, like you're, you know, you watch Kotal Nicky execute, you watch Borland rotate people in and out hockey sub style. They have a, a proven way to play winning football. And somehow they've been able to institute it in 18 months. You know, it's one thing to win and it's one thing to be competitive. It's another thing to build depth the way that they have, with people on the roster. And this is something that I honestly, Nick, I got emotional about uh, last game. I, You know, the West Virginia game was more like joy and jubilance. My emotions for that Houston game were more about like, they're so connected. 
they've done a great job of making no player feel expendable. And and in college football, that is rare. It, it business at any level that is rare where they are in terms of how much money they rake in. They don't look at any player as, you know, we can't use this guy. They are trying to find ways to use every player on the roster. They are using every player on the roster. Jalen Daniels at one point had 11 completions to 11 different people. You know, guys like uh, how many people would have come in to this program and saw a guy like Taiwan Berryhill? Taiwan Berryhill played as a true freshman and a sophomore. He wasn't ready physically. He didn't have a good understanding of, you know, what what he needed to do on the football field. Fast forward a year and he's beating out all conference players that are four and fifth year players. And it's because they chose not to give up on these people. They were like, we are going to develop the people that are here. The first two weeks they were here, they just had meetings with them to get to know them. You know, and it's just like they're they have this. I think it's from their history together being starting in Division three. They have an enrichment philosophy that goes along with that level of football. You're coaching Division three. You're not planning for 20 players to have uh, post-college football careers. You're planning to put them in a position to have successful lives. So when I look at Kansas football now, that's what I see. I see that there are no expendable people. You know, if the special teams guys are all new. Guys like Gavin Potter. Gavin Potter went from a guy that played basically every snap of every game to a guy that plays special teams and about six or seven defensive snaps a game. He's There's no malcontent in him. That guy is committed. Every time he's in there, they put him in a position to do what he does well. And that's another piece of it. You know, we talk about having multiple people at this position, like the tight end and the running back position. Don't just look at how many people there are. Look at how they use them. You know, look at how they use Jerry Casey to block in space. Look at how they use Fairchild to use his big body to post up on people. They use Cardell to drag across the formation because he's so big and tall. Look at the running back, Savion Morrison. They use him to get in space. They use uh, Kai Thomas for their gadget stuff. And then they have, you know, Devin Neal and uh, Hyshaw as their hammer and, and do-all guys. So they're not just simply saying we're going to use everybody. They're saying we're going to use the best parts of you. So when we when you're put into the game, we're not going to say, here's the list for what we need from a weak side linebacker. And you have to do this, this, this and this. They're saying you play weak side linebacker and you do this very well. So I'm going to put you in a position to do it. So I think they've empowered the, the team. Everybody's involved. They on the defensive line, they have about 12 starters, it feels like. I mean, every they can play 12 people with very little drop off. And to me, that is amazing because you don't go from two and 10 to building debt. I mean, that's just not how this works. So I, I've been impressed in every way. Specifically with the offense, I mean, it's always funny going through the depth chart before the season. Who's going to be the one? Who's going to be the two, right? What's the uh, what's the workload going to be like between the running backs? And nobody's even asking those questions right now because, as you mentioned, I mean, Tory Lachlan comes in and gets I, a 60-yard. Tory, <laughs> he's, doing, he's doing a little bit of everything. He's playing yeah. receiver, bleed back, all this stuff. So how much of that, what's the, or what's the relationship between that sort of philosophy of everybody has a role, everybody can be used, what's the relationship between that and then specifically the scheme that we're seeing? Let's just start with the offense, with the scheme that Andy Kotelnik is running. What's the relationship between you've all got a role and look at what I'm doing with the pre-snap movement and the misdirection and trying to keep defenses on their heels? So the the defensive stuff, I, I think it's just all brilliant in terms of the way they use motions and shifts. The, the group that deserves a ton of credit is the offensive line. 
they they played two road games. Houston's crowd was so-so. West Virginia's was pretty good. Um, they've got no pre-snap penalties. You know, there's guys motioning and shifting all around them. Nobody's jumping. So that shows me that they're just completely – that offensive line group has been amazing. Their performance has people thinking that Houston and West Virginia aren't good on defense, and, and that is absurd. Houston, uh, West Virginia, I did the math last night, and their two non-KU games have given up 158 yards total rushing, gave up 200 to Kansas. Uh, same for Houston. Houston gave up 228 yards in their two non-KU games, gave up 260 to Kansas. These are not bad defenses. Duke will not have better personnel than Houston or West Virginia in the front seven. So they've done it against good defenses. And a good example to me is uh, right after they got the interception, they ran a they ran outside zone and Deuce Highshaw scored a touchdown off the left-hand side. If you look at that play, they had three people to the wide side of the field, two receivers and a tight end, and they had the, the wide receiver to the right and the back. The back motioned to the backfield, but what that did was it they strength called to the boundary. So they're so they had a shade or a guy playing inside the guard where he would normally be outside the guard. So instead of having to have a big challenge where this guy should normally be, there's no one there. So that bubble allows that guard to get up on the linebacker. So those are like little ways that shifts and motions manipulate strength calls. They change where people line up. And I know that it's popular to see that and say it's just window dressing. It's not just window dressing. It's manipulating strength, especially when you can use the hashes, use the boundaries. And I know I got a little bit of, a little bit too technical on that, but I mean that that's why it's effective. It's because they can move the defense. So the defense is not, let's just get set and play. The defense is get set and what formation are they in? Where's the ball going? Is that another running back? What does he play receiver? I mean, like, you know, like they had a set last week where, uh, Bostic was off the ball and was playing like a playing almost like a slot back. And it's like it's it's consistently giving them something to think about in ways that it disrupts you pre-snap. They don't allow you to get comfortable, get set and play. One of the plays that was making the rounds on Twitter uh, and football Twitter over the last week was um, I don't even know what you would call it. I believe I think and this maybe speaks to. <laughs> all the different guys they're using. I can't even remember who it actually was. The the receiver that came around on the the little um, the little fake option to the left, and then the jet sweep to the right. Was that Skinner, who they ended up giving the ball to around oh, the right the edge? Yes. Yeah, yes. on the reverse. That was a, that was a fourth down call too. Which and, and the my favorite, in the red zone. Yes, it was a fourth down call, a reverse in the red zone. And my favorite part of that was if you look closely. When they fake everything going to the left, Jared Casey, you know, is playing that slot position and he motions across. And when he gets to the center, he stops, flips around and he's the lead blocker. So imagine if this was your responsibility, you're reading responsibility and you're saying this tight end is going to take me to the play. Well, that tight end took off behind the line of scrimmage. He's six feet tall at best. And he's standing behind a bunch of six, five people. Where did he go? Oh, there he is leading around the corner. And it's just all these little wrinkles. And I, they the, the staff deserves a lot of credit. The players deserve a ton of credit because I feel like they have a lot in and they're able to execute it really well. And to, speaking of Jared Casey, the other play that stands out, I like doing this, these play breakdowns. They're fun because some of these, like, it's fun. It's fun to watch what Andy Kotonek is drawing up each week was the direct snap to Neal, who then pitches it to Jalen Daniels, rolling out to his right, all of a sudden 
Jared Casey's wide open in the end zone. And that was, again, in the red zone. That is that that's a level of trust that you have to have if you're a play caller, right? right? I'm throwing all these different things at you guys. Yes, it's keeping the defense on their heels, but it's also a lot of things for you guys to remember and process and then go out there on Saturday and execute. Yeah, they deserve a ton of credit. That play, uh, Jason Bean was a receiver and Daniels faked reverse to him before he dumped it to Casey. So they have every version of window dressing available. So um, it's just, it's a pleasure to watch. And like you said, the execution of it is really on the players. You know, if if you've been to their practices, their practices fly. I mean, they run more plays in practice than maybe any team I've been around. It is just consistently guys running in and out. There's not a lot of wasted time. And I think that's allowed them last year. It allowed them to catch up. You know, it allowed them to, get a system in at all so they could try to be competitive. This year, it's helped them put in a whole bunch of stuff on offense that they can use and have at their disposal. So Jalen Daniels, we talked about him before the year. We saw the way he finished last season, and you could just tell in those three games to to close last year that he's just got that, that whatever it is, right, he has it. And it sort of, he oozes charisma. He's the type of guy you want to rally around. He's the type of guy you want to go to war with if he's your quarterback. But still, I think there were questions because we had seen such a small sample size of him and he was so young. I think, what, is he even 21 yet? No, he's, no, no, he's, no, he's, no, I mean, he's yeah, 19. Yeah, he came <laughs> in at, at 17. That's right. Yeah. He was 17 as a true freshman. And you just sort of wondered, okay, like what are the growing pains going to look like once we see you for a full season? We've seen all the stuff we saw last year, and now we're seeing a level of execution that I certainly wasn't expecting. What have just sort of been your big picture thoughts on not just all the stuff you already thought you knew about him, but all of the additional attributes that you've sort of seen shine from him early this year? Uh, His poise. You know, I thought he was poised anyway just from talking to him. But, you know, that first year he played, that just shows you how unfair it is for true freshmen to play major college football. It's just hard. You know, if you saw him play as a 17-year-old behind an offensive line that was really struggling, you really couldn't get an evaluation of him of any kind. Now you fast forward two years later where he's had the he's had the opportunity to put the work in the weight room, which has been a big plus because he's able to take hits, he's able to break tackles. It's just poise. You know, like I look out there at him – in the biggest moments, you know, late in, uh, in that second middle second quarter, we're backed up. They had just scored. We're only up seven. And he takes that RPO, kind of misreads it, has a linebacker right in his face, ducks under him and runs for a first down on third and six. And then that allowed Kansas to break the game open. They end up scoring a touchdown on that drive and going up 28-14. So it's not just his ability. It's his knack for the moment. Like he understands how big the moment is and why he needs to make a play. And he keeps these drives alive in these ways that I don't think people even know how to talk about him. I always find it funny on the telecast. You know, I heard they were comparing him to Lamar Jackson. He doesn't play anything like Lamar Jackson. It's just that they don't have they don't have a, a person to compare him to. He's gutty. He's extremely talented with his feet. He's extremely talented with his arm. He's poised. He's in complete control. I thought that was you know, you can't always tell a lot from playing FCS teams. I thought that was the standout point in the Tennessee Tech game, was that he was in complete control. He was safe with his decision-making. He took chances when he needed to, and there was no concerns by him. And now you see that grow and grow and grow. 
And then you put that on top of the offensive lines, it's getting better. I mean, every game they play, they're, they're better than the last week. Uh, with I want to I want to I have another question on Jalen, but it's the second time you brought up the offensive line. How how does an offensive line have that drastic of an improvement from one year to the next? Because there's no sugarcoating it. They were bad last year. I know they got better at the end of the year, but you still look at the season long numbers, um, and you and you just like they were one of the bottom 15, 20 offensive lines in college football. That's obviously not the case this year. That is usually a position group that. You, you don't see big jumps from if you're bringing back the same personnel from one year to the next. So how have they done it? I don't have a clue. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, I think you kind of understood that Bostic had pro potential and he had big time upside. And I think one difference last year was Bostic was more up and down with his performance. You know, when they played well, he played well. You know, that Oklahoma game, he played well, but then he didn't play so well at Iowa State. He didn't. But that's over. <laughs> that guy is showing up every week. You know, last week um, at that Houston game, they had a ton of NFL scouts in the building to watch because Houston's got some dudes. I think he made himself some money. That guy can really play. Um, Then you move over inside. Michael Ford Jr. is just a steady Eddie. He can play two or three different positions. I feel like Nowitzki's playing better than he probably ever has in his career. I mean, that guy's locking horns with people, finishing to the ground, getting up on linebackers. And he's kind of, to me, got the same – He's got the same it factor that Jalen Daniels has, just in a different way. He's just very he's very in control of what they're doing up front. He doesn't get mixed up or confused with any look they see. The communication is perfect. And that's a two-headed monster of communication. It's not just Jalen, it's Nowitzki. So he's doing a fantastic job. And Dominic Pooney is just a dog. He is a big physical dude. You know, you got a 6'6, 305-pound guard that is just you know, moving people and is athletic and is long-armed. Cable Dew is a guy that – he's another guy that played really early in his career. So the evaluations were like, oh, I don't know about this cat. But fast forward to year three, he's top five in a lot of lifts on the team. He's strong. He's athletic. He's able to get up to linebackers. He's able to handle pass rushers one-on-one. And then the extension of that group is offensive line – excuse me, is tight ends. Because those guys give you mobility. They can pull. Like a good example is Houston had those two really good defensive ends. I mean, really good players. You looked at them. I mean, these guys are 2% body fat, yoked up, muscular. They were both 245. Jerry Casey's 245. Mason Fairchild's 265. Trevor Cardell's 255. So if our tight ends are bigger than their defensive ends, that's an advantage. We're going to be able to lean on them. So that group, along with the tight ends, have been the key to everything we're doing. You won't find a big run for Kansas where a tight end's not downfield doing work. Uh, back to Jalen Daniels in that Houston game. I thought that was the best he's played. I know, like the passing numbers may not be that. You look at the touchdowns; it's gaudy, but like the passing efficiency wasn't maybe as good as it was versus Duke. But him in the run game and the zone run, like the zone read stuff, I thought he was nearly perfect. And I don't know if that's Houston maybe underestimating his athleticism or if that just speaks to his sort of elusiveness as a runner. But that was the, that was the game where I said, okay, like I knew this guy was a good athlete. Maybe he's even better than I was giving him credit for because I think be, he comes in after Jason Bean, who you know right. is just this freak track speed type guy where you knew it was going to be a slight step down, but just watching him through three games and, and looking at him versus Houston, like that's what won Kansas the game was his ability to be a, a game breaker on the ground. Yeah, and it's it's not a step down. It's just different. You know what I mean? Like you have yeah. being this straight line burner, 
And Jalen has wiggle. He breaks tackles and he's got that. He's got quickness more than he has speed. So they're just different in terms of how they do it. I thought Houston, and this is why I'm cautioning people on TV that are saying that Duke is going to shut Kansas down. Duke is not as good on defense as Houston is. They're, they're different. And especially personnel wise, they're more of like a do your job, make tackles kind of team. Houston is really good in the secondary and old. They had a lot of seniors They had linked on the outside. And I think Houston thought we're going to play man and put a lot of people in the box and then make them, their receivers have to beat us one-on-one because the receivers have been good, but they haven't shown that they can beat people like that, that often. And what happened was, is as those safeties got deeper into the box, I thought Houston said, we're going to pick our poison. And what we're going to do is our defensive ends are going to take the backs out on that on the on the zone read game and what that is is it's it's called dive game so what they'll do is they'll have that tight end that defensive end crash as hard as he can on the running back and then wrap a linebacker outside for the quarterback but guess what Kodal nicky was doing he was wrapping a tight end to block the person they were wrapping for the quarterback and if you look at quarterback run game it evens the numbers out so if you're playing a team that has a loaded box it's not eight on seven if your quarterback's a runner it's eight on eight it used to be eight on seven. If, you're, if your quarterback's turning around and handing the ball off and I have eight man in the box, it's eight on seven. But if my quarterback is a runner, it's eight on eight. So if, if I can get a hat on a hat and he can beat a guy, we can get there. If somebody makes one mistake in a gap, it's not eight on eight anymore. It's eight on six because now we have eight people. You only have six in these responsible gaps. So it's all these little tweaks and turns that you can add to the game. But it's also Kotelnicki looking at how Houston – Houston, in those first two drives, I think felt pretty good about what they were doing on defense. They thought, oh, we're in pretty good place to, to take this away. They were up hitting hard. They got some big-time players in there. And what happened was those tight ends started rapping for those linebackers, and Jalen Daniels was turning the corner, and there was nobody there because the guy that was supposed to be there was blocked. They had a guy for him. So I think that really threw a wrench in what they wanted to do. And that just speaks to why – it's not as simple as saying they're running some version of a triple option football game. We can stop this because it's, you have to do your job every single time. And then if you do your job and you don't beat your guy, you still haven't done your job. So there, it's just hard to defend a multifaceted offense, especially I think with, when you throw in that RPO game, that is what makes it really hard because RPO is, is, is picking on linebackers and safeties for doing the right thing. And that's hard to, you know, linebackers do the right thing. They see run and they come up and they open up a gap and you throw a slant behind them or, you know, you throw a post behind them. Those are That's a hard way to play defense, especially with all the weapons Kansas has. Are people, are people on TV really saying Duke's going to shut Kansas down? I haven't heard this. Yeah, there was two people on CBS. I think it was Rick Neuheisel and uh, one of the Name names. Uh, uh, they were like, yeah, I think uh, I think Duke's going to be able to take care of him on defense. I watched Duke play Northwestern. Duke is a good team. They're a much improved team. They're similar to us. They'll present a lot of challenges. I'm just simply saying they are they don't ha- they won't have better personnel than what Kansas just faced and West Virginia and Houston. I mean, they they just don't. I want to talk about confidence because it's something that I feel like a lot of coaches and teams have sort of tried to manufacture over the last couple of years, right? And as a player, of course you're going to do that. You're going to come into a season saying we have bull aspirations, even, you know, in the David Beatty era or the, the Charlie Weiss era when we knew, like, you guys just don't have the personnel. You don't even have the body. They didn't have the raw numbers, right? They didn't even have the scholarship numbers to sort of make those sort of proclamations. Now, 
I don't know exactly what this team was saying before the season, but as it currently stands, anybody in that locker room that's saying, you know, we're going to a bowl game, we're going to win some Big 12 games would be totally justified in doing that. Going back to 07, I know you guys were you guys were coming off uh, it, it was a six-win season the year before. The year the Fort Worth Bowl was 2 years prior. So yeah. it's not like it's not like you guys came out of nowhere. You guys weren't a bottom dweller or a laughing stock the way that this program, frankly, has been the last 15 years. At what point does that confidence sort sort of take over? Did that happen before the season for you guys? Once you started kind of killing teams early in non-com play, I think you had K-State early in the, the Orange Bowl year. Like, at what point did did the confidence maybe that you had internally start to turn into this real thing that you were seeing sort of manifest itself around you for us it was clear we had already like you said we were we were establishing ourselves as a normal competitive program so we won our non-conference games often and we won them pretty easily so i mean that wasn't a confirmation of anything it was really um winning at manhattan um that was the that was the point that it was like oh okay you know like this is we should be doing this but once again i think it's I don't think there's a lot of similarities between what we did and what um, what they're doing now. But I think one similarity is this, is that there's an expectation that is supposed to happen. So there is no overreaction. Like I know you've heard in the media, KU, every player on the team says 1% better. Every time you ask them anything since the moment they got here, uh, Kobe Bryant wears a 1% uh, hat on every road trip. They mean that. They are really focused on this is the most present coaching staff I've ever seen at the college football level. And I think they've created a very present program. I don't think they're looking ahead. They are 1% better every week. Every experience to them is new. So they're not looking to, you know, try to recreate anything. Uh, Before we wrap up, I do want to talk a little bit about um, the the Leipold to Nebraska stuff, not even really specifically to Nebraska, but just the idea that Kansas's head coach is – is potentially being linked to other jobs. And I don't mean to date you here, but that hasn't happened since you were playing college football, BMAC. Mm-hmm. Like the four, the four guys who have come before Lance Leipold, we weren't hearing about, oh yeah, so-and-so, they're interested in taking Charlie Weiss or so-and-so wants David Beatty. Where, where do you kind of come out on just as a fan, right? As a fan looking at your program, who feels like they've got something going for the first time in a long time and and understanding the reality of college football, which is, well, that means other people are going to come looking over the fence and saying, what's going on over there? We might be interested in this, too. Where do you kind of come out just as a, as a fan kind of hearing what we've heard the last week or so around Leipold? Uh, as a fan, I'm not interested. It's not going to happen right now. I know one thing. I have been watching Kansas football I mean, for 30 years, you know, it's what I care about. It's what I enjoy. I'm not going to spend a single second of this experience worrying about what's going to happen after it's already over. I mean, it's just a waste of my time. You know, I've I've been waiting for a long time to have something to cover, to to invest in, to to cheer for. And I have that now. I'm not going to spend any time worrying about what he's going to do next. And I don't like when people are asking him to do something they wouldn't do. You know, like if he could leverage his position to make more money, if that were the case, why you wouldn't do it. So why would you ask him to do it? You know, like I know in his first press conference, people were like, oh, that's not enough. 
It's like, what do you, what? <laughs> you want him to do something you wouldn't do? Mm-hmm. That makes sense. That's not fair. You know, if he has an opportunity to make more money, why would he show all of his cards and be like, oh, yeah, I'm staying here forever. I don't, I don't need any more money. You know, like, what, what do you want the man to say? So I, I am not worried about it at all. I'm not going to give any, I'm not really going to think about it very much just because there's so much going on within the program that I want to cover. And if they do leave, I mean, what can you do about it? You know, you just be rooting for the next group. So that's kind of how I yeah. feel about it. Yeah, I talked about this on my on the sh- on the podcast last week, and I said it's kind of like when you have a when you ha- have a hot girlfriend, you have a hot wife. Like you're gonna go out to the bar. Guess what? Other guys gonna look at her. That's right. kind of how it works. Would you rather not have an attractive spouse? Right. Like, this is how it works in college football. Notre Dame just lost their coach to LSU. Uh, Oklahoma lost their coach to USC. There's no program that is immune to having coaches stolen from them. And ultimately, it means for the first time in a very, very long time, you as a program and as a university are doing something right. And that's what I was kind of telling people on... I know there was another report that came out this week uh, by Bruce Feldman from The Athletic. And I just kind of... And I know some maybe fans just want to panic sometimes or you get super protective. I totally get it. I totally get it. But... I said the same thing. I said, man, I've sat in that stadium at 11 a.m. for a lot of shitty football games. Yes. And I didn't do that for nothing. Like, they're finally playing good football. Embrace this. Enjoy this because you don't know how long you're going to have it for. Absolutely. I know I saw there were some people relating to, you know, him trending on Twitter and him coming up and doing the podcast tour. And I'm like, this because the guy is a proven winner. You know, he's really won everywhere he's been. I mean, he's a humble guy and he goes to work, man. And I think that it's having him as our coach for however long that may be. If it's 10 years or 10 more months, I am going to be dialed into what he's doing now and and what he's helped the program do now. And I'm going to be honest with you about programs like Nebraska. This is the one comment I will make. Those programs do not want people that bring their own culture. That's why they that's why they are where they are. That's why it was such an enticing thing to hire Scott Frost. They don't want a new culture. They're, they're fa- there's a lot of their fans that are like, no thanks. We don't, we don't want someone coming in here and building their own culture. And is that appe- and honestly, is that version of coaching appealing to someone like Coach Leipold, who has a proven system that brings it with them, that brings you know staff members that he's been with for decades you know is he enticed by the opportunity to go to a place that does not want to change their culture you know it's like it's like you know i like k-state when they hired Kleiman. you know he had he didn't bring his own assistants you know he, he had his own coordinators he didn't bring his own assistants his coordinator right now is colin klein he didn't know colin klein before he got that job they don't want a new culture in kansas state they want to expand on what they've built and teams like Nebraska feel the same way. They've been trying to expand on what they built in the 80s and 90s for 20 years. They don't. I don't think someone like Coach Leipold is enticing to them, especially to their popular fan base. He'll definitely be enticing to their athletic director if he's smart. But it's the kind of place where Kansas, where he can build his culture his way, and you can see the ramifications and, and the manifestations early on. Well, good stuff, man. It's always good to catch up with you. I know this is a fun time for you, so uh, thanks for the time. Keep killing it. Yeah, you'll see me on the sideline dancing and celebrating and pumping up. So don't you worry. Awesome stuff, as always, from BMAC. Big thanks to him for hopping on again. Thanks to you for listening. Uh, We'll be back next week with another episode. 
Hopefully talking about a 4-0 Kansas team getting ready for Big 12 game number two against Iowa State. As always, if you haven't, please subscribe, rate, and review. Thank you so much for listening. See you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.